Alright, let's go. Come on. First episode of In the World, Not of the World. Uh, this is Jared Wright. I'm here with my, one of my best friends, Darren Houck. Let's go. He is the youth pastor, resonate pastor at Cross Point, my church. Uh, we're just going to talk today. Yeah, I'm fired up. So just a question to kind of start this off. What does that, that title of, of the podcast mean to you, like personally, in the world but not of the world? What does that mean to you? So for me, you know, obviously each and every single one of us, we're in this world. Uh, you know, we got to live in it. That's where God chose for us to be. But I don't want to ever be of the world, of worldly things, of the, the sinful nature of the world itself. And so to me, and what my vision for this whole podcast is, is I want it to be representing how can we be in the world, but never be of the world. As Christians, how can we navigate worldly scenarios, worldly yeah. issues, worldly things, and look at it from a Christian's perspective? Because you're not going to see much of that anymore. When you talk about mainstream media, as you talk about you know any other, most other podcasts, things like that, you're looking at it from you know a very secular, most of the time left wing mindset. And so mm-hmm. I want to flip the script a little bit, look at it from the opposite of that. And how can we be in this world, but not be of this world? I like um, it. And living in that. And that's kind of where I went with that name. I think I think it's probably trademarked by like Ben Shapiro or somebody. <laughs> hey, we're going for it. So with you being uh, the newly interim youth pastor at Cross Point, like how has your role necessarily changed in that? Like, do you feel like there's more responsibility on you? Like how was yeah. the... How was the change for you in that? Yeah, I mean, it was a big change. I was, uh, so I started at Crosspoint in 2018, um, started going there. I moved over here from Washington to attend Lee University. I was a freshman and I was actually commuting like 40 minutes every Wednesday, every Sunday, just to pull up to Crosspoint, love the culture of the church, the pastor. Also, I was connected with Pastor Mike, um, one of my biggest mentors, and Fast forward three years, I started an internship at Crosspoint. I've been serving the whole time. They started a, a formal internship. Um, I, I was an intern for about a year, and I served under Pastor Mike and his leadership over the youth ministry. And we, as an internship team, launched a uh, young adult ministry, which is my first love, is the young adult ministry. Um, and after about a year... I was presented the opportunity to uh, take over that young adult ministry and pastor it and lead it. And it's been an incredible journey of kind of learning and developing in my leadership. Um, I was super uncomfortable and super not very confident as a leader when I started. And just it, it's only been a year since then. And and now my role has changed a little bit more as during this interim process, um, Pastor Mike left to go to another church. I jump in and fill that, that, that space and fill that role with youth ministry. I've been serving in youth ministry since 2018, so it doesn't feel very fresh, or it doesn't feel very new, but it feels very fresh in the sense that now I'm leading the volunteers. Now I'm leading the team, pouring into the team, pouring into the students, planning the events. All of it kind of falls on me. So definitely there's a, a different type of pressure, a different type of, of leadership and authority that I, I kind of had to step into. But honestly, I'm super excited. I'm super blessed and thankful to even be able to have the opportunity um, as big as this at only 23. Mm-hmm. I will say 23 years old, I mean, you're looking at a lot of different changes in life. Stepping into being a full-time youth pastor at a large church of, you know, 1,600 people 
You're stepping into being a dad for the first time. What, 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 is, what is Milo now? Like a month old? Two Milo's months? a month and two weeks old that's already. Good. Time flies. Time flies. Dude, that's wild that you're a girl dad already. Yeah, it's crazy. She's already getting a personality. Um, she's starting to smile. When they're first born, they don't do much. Like they legit just eat, sleep, poop. But now we're starting to see her, her personality come out. She's so sweet. We love her so much. So she's got Becca's personality. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> she's the sweetest. Well, she looks just like you. We know that. Though. That's what people say. They think that she looks like me, but honestly, I, I see more of Becca in her. I don't know why. I just see more Beck. I can understand that. Like, I never. I've never been able to look like everyone's like. You look like your dad, or you look like this, or whatever. I can't look at myself or even my family members and say, "Yeah, they look like this person." I don't know if it's similar for you or not. I guess because like you're so used to them being around, you don't know. You just can't differentiate. Like, oh, that's just my sister. That's just my dad. Like, yeah. But, well, that's how it is for me. Like, my brother and me are complete opposites. Like, he's the big man's man, lifts weights. We have completely different body styles, um, completely different, like, hobbies, interests. Um, we kind of grew up in that way of just going opposite directions. I was more of a basketball player. Um, he was more of a football player, a wrestler. Um, so we kind of had that opposite and we, we do not look like brothers. Um, but I look like my mom a lot. Um, and he looks like my dad a lot. So you can kind of see that difference. That's awesome. So as far as, you know, your mentality going into like new fatherhood, into like new leadership in the church, like how has your mental state changed and all that? Like, has it been pretty stressful with all the changes going on? Yeah, it, it has definitely been super stressful, super time consuming. And, and I, I would like... In that question, I thought the first thing that comes to my head is time, right? Time management. Um, you know, we're young adults and like the way we spend our time, how we put our time into things, it matters. Um, and, and adding more to my plate as far as my job um, and then way more on my plate in fatherhood and stepping into that that transition, which has been a huge transition for me. Um, it, it's For me, it's all about it, taking things out of my day that don't matter as much and replacing them with things that do matter. And I think that's time management. And I've been able to learn that um, just over the past couple of years Mm -hmm. with great leadership in my life, great Christian role models and just people around me. Um, Honestly, you, you, you're one of the people that I've seen with such determination and such strong will and and great habits in your life that that you put first, right? Like waking up at five o'clock in the morning, reading, going to the gym every day, like that motivated me and motivates me daily to kind of just focus on time management, right? So I look at my day and I'm like, what are the things that I need? What are the things that I don't need? And just daily reminding myself that, hey, I'm going to focus on the things that matter. I'm going to focus on my spirituality. I'm going to focus on being a dad. I'm going to focus on being a husband. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to focus on building a ministry and pouring into people and loving people to Jesus. You know, you know, you call that, you call that discipline. Some people just call it hardheadedness. Uh, (laughs) well that's you bro that's you whatever you want to call it discipline is how i would kind of see that and see you um, in that quality it's something that i I strive for daily you know you will never see me wake up at five o'clock in the morning though well i know i try to get you to go to the gym for like months not gonna happen (laughs) no so i know it's definitely like a a completely different thought process like obviously me and kaylee we're we've been talking about kids and things like that and just the thought of like obviously i want to have our first kid 
But I'm like, that's gonna be a, I guess gonna be a change. Like, it's a lot. How hard is it waking up in the mornings when you've been up all night? You it's know, baby crying. It was hard at first. So she would wake up initially in the first two weeks, like four or five times in the middle of the night. And we're bottle feeding her. So I, I, I feed her with the bottle. I change her and uh, put her back to sleep, burp her and put her back to sleep. And it was four times in the middle of the night. Let's just say like when I started before that, like before I wasn't a dad and Becca was just pregnant, Buddy would sleep the whole night. I mean, I would sleep all the way through. I'd get my eight hours, sometimes 10. It'd be great. So it was a huge transition of having to like be more disciplined and be more like willing to serve and help Becca. Because I feel like in the South, there's like this this idea that the woman should take care of the kid and she should do all this and all that. But like, you know, Milo's mine too. Like yeah. I should take ownership and and father her and, and be there to serve Becca in the best way that I can. And, and I, tr- I try to do my best. She's an incredible mom though. And she's loving mom life for mm-hmm. sure. But it's, it's huge. I mean, you're like, it, it takes longer to get up and go anywhere. Um, it's just, it makes things um, that were once easy a lot harder. And that was the transition for me. I'm a very impatient person. Like when I want to do something, I get up and do it. Um, I don't like to wait around. So this has really taught me patience. It's taught me um, kind of stability and just being present in the moment, which I'm not very good at. I'm always focusing on the next moment. And I feel like a lot of us are like that. Like we, we we're, we're right here in this moment, but we're already focused on the next moment mentally. And having a kid, having baby Milo, um, it's kind of helped me focus and shift my focus to say, hey, I'm going to be present in this moment. I'm going to manage my time well and I'm going to work through it. You had to dial it back into like living the present. That's what I always heard was, you know, sometimes, sometimes I used to be a planner. Like I had to plan everything. And I planned, okay, this is what one year looks like, what three years looks like, what five years out looks like. I planned everything. Yeah. And I started to realize, like someone actually told me, like, man, if you keep looking at the future so hard, you're going to miss the present. I was like, shoot, like, that's kind of deep. I don't know if they meant to be that deep. <laughs> yeah, you literally miss the present. And, I mean, you'll be in that moment and then, you know, time flies, literally. Mm-hmm. I mean, time is, is is flying by right now. I feel it. Um, well, I mean, it's, it's you crazy. like, experience Milo that much, you know. You got to talk to her a few times. And I'm like, yeah, she was born, like, last week. And like, she's a month and a half old. Yeah, a month and, and a half. Yeah, time... Time flies. People get busy, and it's it's time just right by you. Which I know, I know y'all been y'all been like including Milo in all the day to day activities too. Like, you know, she's been at church. She's yeah. been worshiping. It looks like. And oh yeah, yeah. We try to bring her into service um, as much as we can, just to bring her in that environment of mm-hmm. hey, like we're gonna set the tone and set the foundation. Like we're gonna worship God, and we're gonna make church a priority. Um, and I think obviously she she doesn't know what church is right now. She's just a baby. But like I do believe that it's important to build that those foundations yeah. for building your family and in that whole process of being in church and and worshiping and praying. Yeah, I mean absolutely. I mean just the just a place. I mean you can ask a lot of people that weren't trying to do like church during COVID. And just what church? You know, yeah. you're sitting in your living room couch in your underwear on Sunday morning watching. Yeah. It's it ain't church. You know, it, it is, but it isn't. Yeah, and that was me, dude. I was. Always watching the live stream, just chilling. Y'all were in Canton during yeah, all that, yeah. weren't you? Yeah. yeah we were in Canton for a year during COVID. Um, I remember we went we went on a trip the February before COVID hit to California. And on our way back, it was starting to get, get crazy, go crazy. The whole country was going wild. 
And then when we came back, everything shut down. Our college shut down, so we stayed uh, at Becca's parents' house, Canton, in Canton, Georgia, for a whole year. What's that like? What's that like living with, with you know, the in-laws? You know, it's, it's a scary thought, I guess, but, like, was it, was it tough? Financially, it's a great decision, right? Mm-hmm. And I do recommend that for some people. Uh, yeah, like, if you can if you can live with your in-laws and you can, you know, have a place um, to save money and, and prepare for the future, that was great. Mm-hmm. But it was a tight space. Um, we only did it for, like, four months when we were married. But when we were dating, I lived in a separate whole separate spot um, of the house mm-hmm. like live in another spot and oh so this was split like y'all were dating at first yeah yeah, then, yeah oh wow yeah because I wasn't gonna move all the way home to Washington because then it just would have caused a lot of problems for me with with school I was going to Dalton State um, we were both going to Dalton State it was all online but mm-hmm. we still needed to come to Dalton sometimes because we were still connected to the church we were driving up probably once or twice a month to the church and and being a part of that, okay. so so I know you, I know you're talking about like financially, like especially being you know like young twenty year olds. I know one of your passions is finances. But yeah, mine is too. Like what what is what is your mindset like going into finances as a young person? Like maybe even as early as like sixteen, seventeen, like at your first job. Like what is your Christian like mindset in finances itself? Like how do you do? That? Yeah, yeah. So I I believe that the scripture is clear. Um, that it, 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 God calls us to stewardship, right? Stewardship of our time, our talent, and our treasure, right? And, and in regards to treasure, treasure can be monetary or you know possessions, right? And the things that we have. But in this case, I believe that God calls us to be good with our money, good stewards of where we place it, what we do with it, um, and how we manage it, right? So managing your money and not allowing your money to manage you. Mm-hmm. That's a huge thing. Mm-hmm. So many of us as young adults, like we get credit cards and our money starts to manage us, right? Yeah. Our debt starts yeah. to take over and we're not managing our money anymore. Our, our money is managing us. It's managing our schedule. It's managing our lifestyle. It's managing all of these things. But for me, it's stewardship, right? Like mm-hmm. where I place it, it matters. Um, and I kind of got into all that, very passionate about it. I dove into the financial subject in 2020. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, at home uh, for COVID, like we were just talking about. And uh, I saw a Dave Ramsey video pop up and I kind of dove into that financial guru world, watched multiple different podcasts. And over the course of about a year and a half, um, you ran away. got really into stocks, investing, um, and super I, I dove in a lot to like finances and personal finance because my mom, like bless your heart, she was a single mom and she wasn't great with finances. Um, and, and so I had kind of had to teach myself those financial concepts, mm-hmm. how money works, mm-hmm. um, how debt works, how interest rates work, how paying your bills work and how you should manage a budget monthly. Right. Yeah. So yeah. every single dollar you got to give every, I believe that you got to give every single dollar a job. Or else it's going to run itself for you and you'll, you'll, you'll lose it. You'll forget it. Um, so what I do is I, I have an a itemized budget and every single dollar that comes in income-wise has a job. It's going to a certain place, whether it's investments or whether it's my power bill. It has a job. It has a place. My grocery bill, my shoe bill because I love sneakers. Um, Every single thing has a place, right? Even when I eat Chick-fil-A, it has a budget, it has a place. That way it's not controlling me, but I'm controlling it. Yeah. So I know, I know for us, like, I guess like our, our budgeting plan is we opened up, like, I think we have 
nine open bank accounts or something like that. Yeah. Eight. I, a ridiculous amount of it. We separate our money out. Like, okay, I know I need this much money towards mortgage. I know I need this much money towards power bill, electricity, all that stuff. I know I need this much money into car payments. And we kind of split it that way and, and have their own account, basically making myself budget. Yeah. Because I know for me, I like it whenever I'm looking at a bank account and like, you know, we have a, a decent sized savings account. But when I see checking, I'm like, okay, $200. Can't spend nothing. <laughs> and I like, like keep it low like that. Which I know, I know. Me and you both went on the the credit card hype for a little bit. We're still we're still rolling with it, you know, getting those credit card points. Are you are you still keeping up with that? Yeah, I mean, we use a credit card and pay it off, mm-hmm. um, but we, I mean, we haven't opened up any other credit cards. I know there's a lot of like travel hacks that you can get, you know, free airlines. If you spend a certain amount of money, you get a certain amount of points. Mm-hmm. Um, like we went to Cancun, got our flights for free mm-hmm. off of uh, a credit card that, like, from that initial offer. Mm-hmm. Um, but credit cards are dangerous, and that's something that I would advise people against that don't know how to manage a budget because mm-hmm. you give an, a, a 19-year-old a $5,000 credit max, and they're going to think, oh, I got $5,000 to spend. They're not going to understand the idea that, hey, this isn't my money. I'm going to have to pay it back. Mm-hmm. I'm, actually, I'm actually borrowing this money in the moment, mm-hmm. and I'm going to have to pay it back later, but I'm not just going to have to pay that balance. I'm going to have to pay an interest on top of mm-hmm. that, and I didn't understand that for so long until I kind of dove into finances and all that. Um, so for me, I'd rather have my money work for me when it comes to interest mm-hmm. than against me, right? Yeah. So it's working against us when we're, when we're going into debt. Yeah. But it's working for us when we're investing, when we're, we're buying into things that raise in value. Mm-hmm. There are good debts there. Yeah, yeah. There's good debts, so a house, right? You're a, ho- you're a homeowner. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there are good debts, like investment properties, mm-hmm. um, what are some other good debts? I'm I don't say good debts to me. I mean, I guess you could. It's not really debt. I guess you could classify stocks in there because you're putting money into something constantly that's yeah, appreciating, yeah. you know, or me, depreciating with the economy no, that true, we're in right true. now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Speaking of right wing things, you got a president who don't really care about the economy. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm big into you know, I'm big into real estate. You know, that's my thing. It's like yeah. I, I see that being a continued trend upwards, and that's where I'm trying to put my money at. Yeah, and investing there, you know. But I think. I think whether it's credit cards, if you're using them wisely, and you know, you know, for me and Kaylee, obviously we booked the first trip to Cancun with y'all, mm-hmm. you know, purely off points. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a free flight, you know, it's eight hundred dollars something worth of flights. You know, we're that going back crazy. next month for free again on mm-hmm. as far as our flights go. I mean, just from the points we booked, you know, I mean, shoot, that was probably maybe a five month span. You know, because we run everything through a credit card yeah. and pay it off every two weeks. You know, mm-hmm. and that way we're never behind and, and miss anything and nothing like that. And the points you rack up is ridiculous. Yeah, it, there's good benefits to it. Um, it's called credit card hacking. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you're if you're responsible enough to keep up with it, yeah. and not be like, well. I really want that. The argument that I would raise though is the average person our age. I mean, the financial literacy in America is at an all-time low. So, like, they're not teaching people our age or high schoolers about finances because mm-hmm. they, they almost want them to fail. They almost okay. are setting them up for failure so the banks can make more money off Absolutely. of our credit cards and all these things. Mm-hmm. So I'm very passionate about this and, and helping people budget and kind of helping young adults um, mm-hmm. as they start their lives of, hey, I actually have bills now. My, my parents aren't paying for everything. Yeah. 
I love helping them kind of formulate a budget and formulate, hey, I'm going to set this savings plan up and I'm going to reach that goal and I'm going to be be disciplined, right? We mm-hmm. talked about discipline. I'm going to be disciplined with my money. I'm going to be a good steward like God called me to be mm-hmm. and and take it from there. I'm very yeah. passionate about it because, I mean, I struggled with, with finances for so long until I learned these concepts. And a lot of people have no clue what these are that mm-hmm. you can, you know, starting at 20 years old, if you, if you throw $200 into the stock market for 40 years with mm-hmm. an average return of 8%, you're going to be a millionaire, right? Absolutely. And it's $200 a month, every month mm-hmm. that you can just auto draft in there. It, it's, it's crazy that, that this, this, um, knowledge isn't accessible to the public. You kind of have to dive into mm-hmm. it. I wish that they would teach these things, in you know personal finance classes in high school, yeah, I never had absolutely. that. If I would have, I would have had a head start, exactly. which which would have been legit. Well, it's, it's like you said. I mean, they want you to fail. I mean, ultimately, if you really go into it, I mean, the government is funding a lot of these loans. The government's making more money on the loans. Exactly, the government's funding the schools who are teaching the certain curriculums. You know, I'm a conspiracy theorist. You know that. I definitely think that they're wanting to set us up to fail. I mean, I mean, 100. percent The lack of knowledge, mm-hmm. right? Is it, it, it like the lack of wisdom leads us to making mistakes, mm-hmm. leads us to foolishness? That's Proverbs, right? We yeah. dove into that book um, past March, in this past March, and and dove into all of the the the, the Proverbs. That's all over Proverbs: mm-hmm. stewardship and wisdom versus foolishness. Yeah, absolutely. the lack of of knowledge is foolishness. So mm-hmm. we should always dive into these concepts deeper. Um, and try to learn more about it. Yeah, I definitely agree. And, and along with that, I mean, I think, you know, being a good steward of your money is the first fruits. You know, it's a 10% coming yeah. off the top. And, you know, I love what Pastor said one day when he was speaking about this and completely changed my outlook on it. And I'd probably heard it and just never resonated with me. But the first fruit, meaning literally the first 10%, yeah. you know, and only operating on your 90 no matter what, requires you to have faith in God. Hundred percent. You know, whenever you you start off and you're like, "All right, well, let me pay my house, let me pay my taxes, let me pay my cars off, let me pay the food bill." Well, I got a little bit extra to spend on food. Let me go and spend it on food. Oh, okay, I got seven percent left for God. Let's do it. You know, yeah. That, that's, there's no faith required in that. You know, it's no, it, it's it's stewardship to an extent, but there's no true like God. I trust you with my money. It's God. Here's what's left over. Yeah. And I think that applies to you know our time, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we spend you know. Just our uh, our unselfishness in general, you know. Like, what are we doing with other people to help others? You know, on yeah. top of our time and money, like, you know, it, it's easy to you know be praying over people and, and things like that, and to being a good steward of things. But you know, that that first ten percent of your finances, that tithe coming out, and just being like, you know what, God, like, I trust you. Like, you got this. I know what, how good you are. Yeah, that that's made a complete difference in my life. I mean, the blessings have just come and come and come and come. You know, it's like. I don't want to advertise it as a, you know, the more you give, the more you receive. But, yeah. I mean, the, the, the Bible tells us, you know, he's going to bless us and he's going to honor us if we're giving those first fruits to 100%. him. 100%. And I think it's a mindset, right? A mindset shift from this is mine to this is God's, right? Everything is God's. If we believe that there is a God of the universe, then everything that we see visually mm-hmm comes from God, right? He's the creator from the beginning. He's the creator to the end. So every single thing, monetarily, possessionally, every single thing that we see and that we have is actually God's. And that 10% is just giving 
what's already God, what what is already His back to Him, you know? Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. I think a lot of people struggle with that. I mean, you know, that that's that's one of the issues I see being like, we got to fix this when it comes to Westernized Christian cultures. Stewardship. Stewardship, but like, yeah. it, it's, it's, I see God as my Savior. Yeah. But you never see Him as your Lord. Mm-hmm. And there's a word for it. I can't even pronounce it. I've heard it before. But yeah, yeah. It's like you only you only worship God for the benefits of God, right? You yeah. worship God for for the benefit of salvation, the, mm-hmm. the the benefit of all this. But when the going gets tough, right? When when the the valley hits, mm-hmm. when you come off the mountain, the real question is, what's going to happen then, right? And that's the book of James. It it talks so clearly about like you, your works. Like like your faith is dead without any works, right? Mm-hmm. If you don't if you don't do anything to prove the fact that you believe that Jesus is Lord, that He's Messiah, then then the, there's a bit of an issue. It's mm-hmm. it's problematic to your Christianity because you're here for all the benefits, right? All the good stuff, mm-hmm. but then what are you gonna do? What's your response in the hard times? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and you look at that. So many people take that so out of context, and they're like, "Oh, salvation requires your works." Yeah, you know, you know. I don't mean you don't believe that. It's it's literally saying salvation is its own entity. Yeah, here's salvation, and once you have this salvation, like if you're truly saved, like your work should back it up. You're naturally gonna gonna chase after the things of God and chase after Him in a relationship with Him Mm -hmm. and in community with other believers. Exactly. I think once you have that mindset change, and this is an argument I've heard people make, and I, I don't know exactly how I feel about it, but they say once you truly experience Jesus on a whole personal level and see just how good he is. And I want to ask what your opinion on this. Can, can people, if they've truly experienced him, do you think that it's possible for them not to want to share him? Well, I mean, there's scripture all over that says, you know, we shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, go out into all the earth. Um, preaching the gospel, preaching Jesus, and baptizing people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy mm. Spirit. Um, I think it's a natural response that that comes out of overflow of you having a, a personal relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, people are you know people can be shy. People mm-hmm. can do it in different ways through art, through all these different things of preaching the gospel to people. I don't think it's always like going up to people and being very bold. I think you can you can share the gospel in many different ways and many different forms. Mm-hmm. Um, by loving people the way that Jesus loved them. But yeah, I do think it's a natural response coming from your salvation to share to others about what God did. Mm-hmm. I heard an atheist say like the greatest trouble, the greatest problem that a Christian would ever have is if 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 they believe if what they believe is true, mm-hmm. right? And they don't share it, they're doing such a disservice to mm-hmm. people, right? They're literally watching people daily die. Right, die spiritually, eternally. Because you're either alive spiritually or you're dead spiritually. Right, you're either alive in Christ or you're Mm -hmm. dead to sin. There's no in between. There's no gray area. Absolutely. And a lot of people try to paint a gray area, but the scriptures true in that there is no gray area. There's absolute salvation Mm -hmm. with Jesus, and there's dead to sin, dead to the world, dead to the things of this earth. Mm -hmm. So. I think it's a natural response to share the gospel mm-hmm. once you've heard it because it's 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 a powerful love story that Christ died for you and me mm-hmm. now that we have been adopted to a sonship right with 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 Jesus um, we've been adopted as sons and daughters into into the the, the community the kingdom of God um, we ought to share it 
Oh, absolutely. Well, let me ask you this though. Coming in, so obviously you're a much more mature Christian now than whenever you first accepted 100%. teens. Yeah. But from like, at least from the outside looking in to an extent, like, are there are there differences in how people react to these things or like how people are, are going about them? You know, here in the South and the Bible Belt, which is a blessing and a curse to me, or is it is it the same up in Washington where you first got no, saved? No, completely different. Um, and I think it's it's what we talked about. It's it's Southern Christianity, right? Mm. The Bible Belt where we live, um, where you can't drive down the street without seeing a church. Mm. So it's almost like the idea that people are are overchurched or dechurched, not unchurched, because. Everyone's been to church. A lot of people, mainly, mostly everyone's been to church in the South, right? Yeah, yeah. Or have has heard about church. In Washington, it's not the same. I mean, there's very few churches and very few good churches. Mm-hmm. Um, so people, when they hear the gospel in Washington, it's almost like a different response. It's almost like a, wow, this is changing my life. I'm going to go change the way I think, the way I act, the way I live, and I'm going to follow God. That's how it was for me. It was an automatic response of, wow, God loved me so much Mm -hmm. that I should return the favor and love him so much to change my habits, to change my ways. And yes, I struggle daily, right? We're all sinners, right? Mm -hmm. Saved by grace um, through faith. And in Washington, it's just different. Like our youth group, we saw students from all over all over Yakima, Washington, where I'm from, they would come into to church high, stoned, um, stoned out of their minds on pills, um, drunk, literally smoking weed in the parking lot before they come in, and they would come out bawling, weeping for Christ in the altars and be completely sober, sober minded like mm-hmm. that. Saw radical transformation. Um, and that, that same thing can happen here in the South, too. It, yeah. it does happen here in the South, but, but it, it's a different level of commitment, in my yeah. opinion, yeah. In, in Washington when someone comes to find Christ um, because it, it's not as, as um, traditional tr- as traditional and as available. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you're not seeing churches on every single you know side street. You're seeing um, pot shops on every side street. Yeah. You're seeing... Um, you're seeing a lot of secular things versus over here. It's it's just a lot different, um, mm-hmm. and it's it's a huge mission field over there. Um, I think it's a mindset change when you're looking at stuff because you know here it's it's honestly rare to find an individual like you said who hasn't grown up in church. You know? Yeah, yeah. I'm putting the, the air quotes up, you know, because that's what everyone says. Oh, I grew up in church, and it becomes it becomes a habit and a tradition. So it becomes a church. And, you know, something that, you know, I really liked that Mike told me as I started doing, uh, you know, resonate like, youth leadership with my wife was he wants it to be something where our mindset isn't I have to be here. Our mindset is I get to be here. Yeah. And, you know, I think that is part of the curse that I was kind of talking about when it comes to the Bible Belt is it's tradition. It's what you do on Sundays and Wednesdays. Yeah. And it's okay. I have to go to church. Yeah. And, you know, I love my, my, my original church. Um, here in Dalton, you know, I think they're a great church, but because, I think because it was a tradition thing, and you know, you hear a lot about like, oh, it's my parents' faith and things like that. I wouldn't necessarily go that far, but it was more like I have to go to church because it's a traditional thing. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest changes like I personally experienced whenever I started coming to Cross Point and making friends at Cross Point was 
I get to be a church, you know. And I can see where, like, if church isn't just an every week thing for you, like in Washington, where, like, you know, obviously probably a majority there don't grow up in church. Yeah. And it's you're truly going to church to seek God, to find God. Like, you're like, what is this all about? I think that mindset change where it's like, oh, man, I'm getting to go to church today. I wonder if that plays a role. And like you said, it can definitely happen here. You know, it's definitely something where, like, that 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 radical change in yeah. somebody can happen here, but I think it starts with our mindsets. Yeah, it's the same power at work, right? The same power of God at work. Um, it's just our pursuit mm-hmm. of God, and I feel like that's the difference is there's there's just a crazy pursuit when someone hears the gospel mm-hmm. that we would have in our youth group over in Yakima um, versus versus a lot of what I've seen in the South um, just over the last few years since 2018. Um, but like you said, it can it can still happen here. It's the same God at work. And you just have to remind people of that. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to remind people that it's not your parents' faith anymore. It's yours. And I mm-hmm. see, I, I've seen that such a prevalent issue um, for young adults. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, I've lived my parents' faith all these years, all these 18 years. And now, I ha- now I'm an adult, right? Now I have a little bit of freedom and I, ha- I can make decisions on what I believe now. Mm-hmm. So you're seeing a lot of people kind of, either walk away from the faith or you're seeing people dive into the faith in a whole new way mm-hmm. in a whole new 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 way of, of man I have a personal relationship with God anymore it's not just a ritualistic mm-hmm. traditional mm-hmm. view but man I'm diving in and that's what we've been able to see at young adults it's been really really cool to see people kind of take ownership of their faith mm-hmm. um, outside of their parents or their family's tradition well I mean that's rare I think that honestly, I think I mean obviously it's attributed to God but I think it's attributed attributed to what you and Mike kind of set up and and really push as young, far as young adults go because I mean you've had multiple times where there's over a hundred young adults in a single room yeah, worshiping it's God. been crazy you know I, I, I'd be willing to take a guess that in less than one percent of the cities in the United States that's happened yeah, I mean, the average young adult ministry over the, the whole country is actually more structured like a small group. It's The average is like 7 to, to 20 people mm-hmm. per per young adult uh, ministry. And that mm-hmm. I feel like the young adult ministry in the church is becoming a new thing. Mm-hmm. Like, you didn't used to see like 5, 6, 7, 10 years ago a young adult ministry in a church. Mm-hmm. You saw it as, you saw kids ministry, youth ministry. And then once you graduate high school, you're going to big church. Big church. So it's almost like the church has kind of found a place. Our church has found a place for young adults, 18 mm-hmm. to 29, whether you're fresh out of high school going to college or you're a young adult with young married with kids. Mm-hmm. It's that place of just a genuine place that wants to chase after community, that wants to chase after Christ and mm-hmm. worship Him in a, in a real way. Well, I mean, statistics show. I can't give you the exact number, but like that's, that's where the church was losing people. Yeah, it's like okay, they're great. It's their parents' faith to an extent until they turn eighteen. And you know, I can testify to this in my testimony. You go off to college; it's a whole other world. Yeah, you know? the indoctrination's crazy in the public college. Mm-hmm. Uh, people don't even realize like they're teaching atheism in public mm-hmm. colleges, um, and they're teaching people to walk away from their faith. Mm-hmm. And because of the fact that they didn't have a strong foundation of apologetics, mm-hmm. right, to stand up for the evidence of their faith. They are walking away from their faith, um, the young adults, and it breaks my heart. Um, so to create a place for young adults during that transition of, hey, I'm just still discovering who I am and who who I am in Christ Jesus, um, 
to kind of create a place and a foundation for those people is so crucial, so important because a lot of churches all across America don't have a place for young adults. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that cutoff mark. You're 18, now you're going to big church, but like they still need to mature mm-hmm. spiritually. They still need a place where they can come together within their age group and chase after God and chase after the scriptures and diving into those things. Young adults like to have conversations like we're having right now, educated conversations about different ideas, different ideals, mm-hmm. and dive into why they believe what they believe. It's more than just what they're being indoctrinated with. I know for me, so, you know, mine was, you know, I've been to three colleges, you know, that I started playing basketball at one, came back home for a little bit, and then I went off to what, like, what I really call my college experience. My first college was a Christian college. This was, like, my, my you know, secular college. I mean, it was it was a tough one. And, you know, I, I fell into, you know, alcoholism and different things like that pretty rough there. Yeah. But the other part of it was, okay, one, I don't know any churches here. I don't know what they teach. I don't know what's going on. You know, in my hometown, I got my home church. I have my parents or my nana and papa's church. I have you know all these churches where I had friends at, and I can attribute like, hey, they probably teach something pretty good. But it's like I don't know what church to go to. I don't know anybody in this church. Yeah, I don't you know have like a true spot because there wasn't a young adults program at least that I know of there. And so I fell out of church unless I came back home for the weekend. Yeah. It was okay. Well, I just uh, it, you know obviously it, it's it brought a sense of guilt like hey you're not on church on Sunday what are you doing but I think that is a big part of it too because you know not that I think it's necessarily bad but we push <clears throat> push college so hard push going to the next thing so hard everyone wants to go off to college and, and find themselves yeah yeah you know and, and yeah, so it's you, like that whole idea of finding yourself what yeah, does that even mean the finding yourself it seems like now it just means how drunk can I get and how many people can I sleep with you know? yeah and that's a huge problem it's like you give you give a, a an eighteen year old a, a ton of freedom, and then they'll run with it, and they'll either either stick to their Christian ways, their Christian fundamentals, mm-hmm. or, or they'll run away from their faith. Exactly like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I think that's where the church in general needs to work on strengthening, because a lot of these people, I guarantee, especially in the South, you go up to you know go down go down to Athens right now. Go find a drunk kid on the street and ask him about David and Goliath. He's probably going to be able to tell you the whole story just about. They understand. They know the Bible stories. Yeah. They just never understood what faith meant to them. Yeah. And, you know, and it's obviously important to understand Bible stories and to understand, understand and know scriptures and things like that. But there has to be a time period when it gets taken from here is, here is information yeah. to apply it to yourself. Yeah, information to application. Exactly. Sure. And, and uh, that that's something I think that I'm not going to say it's missing in every church, but I think that you know growing in that aspect can help shift it. Whenever it becomes your own faith and you're applying it in your own life, and then whenever you go off to college and you're trying to figure out who am I, yeah, you start realizing well, first and foremost, I am God's. I am a Christian. This is what I represent. This is what I do. This is what I enjoy. This is where I find myself at because yeah. he's my creator. And whenever you reach that point, I think this finding yourself process and this where most people end up falling away, I think that you can truly grow closer. I know for me, whenever I moved back and really dove in and you know my, my finding myself now is growing closer 
to God and growing yeah. growing more and more uh just just being in church more and, and experiencing that more you know I saw myself grow as far as my Christianity goes and my, my relationship with God tenfold you know just just being able to find myself and you know I'm only 23 right now and I'm still you know only what, halfway into this you know, young adult's age limit I guess we could call it or mm-hmm. whatever you know how how much better you know that's been in two years for me how much closer could I be with God right now if I would have had that when I was 18 yeah coming out of high school for sure not knowing where I'm at and I think that's why that ministry is so important right yeah. now yeah hindsight's always 2020 looking back it's like what I could have done um, but yeah it's important to have a space and to have a place mm-hmm. for young adults people our age to to kind of discover their faith um, and make it theirs and take ownership of that mm-hmm. No, like t- kind of tying it back into like Washington and your parents and stuff. You know, I know what we were kind of talking beforehand about like, you know, your dad and the things that had happened with him. Like, yeah. what what was it like going into college? And I think at that time was a one-parent household. I think your stepdad had also passed away by that time, right? Yeah. Uh, what, what was that What was that like and like trying to find guidance in that, you know, when whenever, I mean, like I know to me, like I love my mom, but my dad was my leader. You know, that was my yeah. like role model. What, what was the difference for you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, growing up, I really didn't have a uh, father figure. Um, one person that, that has meant the world to me is Pastor Mike. Um, I met him when I was 16 years old, just a junior, an incoming junior in high school. Um, went to his youth group on a random Wednesday night. Um, gave my life to Christ and haven't been the same since. I mean, God completely transformed my life um, and helped me kind of grow and develop over time. Pastor Mike was a huge mentor in that whole process, kind of that father figure, right? Mm -hmm. In the sense of like a spiritual father. Um, And it's so important to have spiritual fathers in your life, spiritual mothers and fathers to pour Mm -hmm. into you. And he's been that since I was 16, still that to this day. Um, But it was was hard um, because, so Pastor Mike was my youth pastor for about a year and a half. And then he actually got called by Dalton, Georgia, Cross Point Church, um, to come and be the youth pastor. He moved from, from Washington to all the way over to Georgia. And that was during my, uh, my senior year in high school. So I still had a whole year of high school um, that I had to kind of figure out on my own um, without that, that mentor in my life. Um, we still texted and called and mm-hmm. stuff, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like it was being right there and having your mentor there. Um, and then the opportunity presented itself to go to Lee University, um, which Pastor Mike had kind of talked about before he left um, to go to, to Georgia. The fact that it was only 45 minutes down the road from Cross Point. Mm-hmm. And I had prayed about it all year, um, all my, my whole senior year. And I, I kind of went back and forth with it in the sense of, should I go, should I not go? The only person I knew in the South was Pastor Mike. I didn't mm-hmm. know anyone else. Um, so it was a huge, I would call it a full send. I mean, I just <laughs> sent it. I, I was at summer camp of my senior year, the end of my senior year, and I just prayed to God. I said, God, if, if this is your will, give me a sign tonight. Give me a vision. Give me a dream. And he, he, he gave it to me plain as day, um, the front of Lee University, the sign. And I got a vision from God that night um, just in an altar call mm-hmm. of a service on a random um, church camp night. Uh, mm-hmm. so I, that was my confirmation. I moved, um, me and my mom, we, we, we kind of, we didn't see everything eye to eye my senior year. We didn't have the closest relationship. 
So moving away from home was kind of hard because of that. We had a rocky relationship. Me and my brother didn't have a great relationship. Um, so moving away was, was kind of tough. Mm-hmm. I had some great friends from church. Um, and I was kind of scared because, you know, you move all the way across the country and you don't know a single person that actually goes to Lee University where you're going to be living. Mm-hmm. It's a huge jump, a huge step of faith that I, that I, that I took. Um, but man, I, I would not be the same if I never took that step of faith and that jump of faith. I met Becca, my wife, mm-hmm. literally two weeks into school after I moved to Cleveland, Tennessee to go to Lee. Um, and then the rest is history. Got okay. connected at Crosspoint and God kind of wrote his story, but it was because I took that step forward of faith. Mm-hmm. But to answer your question, like it's, it, it's been hard my whole life not having, you know, a male role model. I never had anyone to teach me how to fish. Never, one, never had anyone how to teach me how to change my oil or, mm-hmm. you know, the stuff that, that men do, right? The manly things. Um, I was always kind of a mama's boy growing up when I was a little kid. Um, and I was kind of into more like fashion and, and, and sneakers and that kind of stuff. Um, and I think that's stash now. So that's, that's man's man. Yeah. I got a stash, (laughs) but he's going for it. A little top gun action. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it it was, it's been hard my whole life not having a mentor or, or, or a father figure, but pastor Mike really has filled that gap for me. Um, just over the past eight or nine years of knowing him. So it's been, a huge blessing, and I'm so I'm I'm thankful to God for that. That's awesome. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy just seeing how God works in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Because like, you know, it's crazy for me to sit right here right now and call you one of my closest best friends. Yeah, that is and, crazy. You know what? Five six years ago, you were making a decision that ultimately could have completely changed that to the point yeah. where I'm not here where I'm at right now because you made a decision six years ago. It's like the butterfly effect type deal. Yeah. You know, but I mean. You know, talk about your dad. You know, you, you were kind of bringing up earlier uh, before that we started the podcast about how uh, different prescribed medications and things like that. You know, to, can you tell me a little bit more about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. So my dad actually passed away when I was four, um, and he had struggled with with addiction, struggled with with um, with drugs and alcohol um, in his younger life, leading up to his adult life too. Um, and he passed away from a accidental drug overdose overnight um he he died in his sleep um, Mm -hmm. because he mixed a psychotic drug that was helping him with with anxiety and and depression with a painkiller and it was like a um it was like just the mix of those drugs Mm -hmm. in his sleep um unfortunately killed him um so i was only four years old i didn't know my dad very much but it was still really hard Mm -hmm. to know that i lost someone who you know is your dad i mean it's not not Mm -hmm. not an easy thing my brother was a a, a older so it hit him a lot harder he was eight eight or nine Mm -hmm. um but yeah i mean my family uh we like we have what i would call an addictive personalities right Mm -hmm. so like my dad really struggled with, with addiction, um, his whole life. And that accidental drug overdose kind of just like, I mean, it killed him. So it's mm-hmm. it super, super unfortunate and, and horrible. Um, and you said it was, it was prescribed too, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I was, we were talking about it earlier. I just watched like, just like two weeks ago or like a couple, a couple weeks ago, I watched a, uh, a, 
documentary on Netflix called Painkillers. Mm-hmm. And it's this whole like um, documentary covers um, the the uprising of Oxycontin, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a painkiller um, prescribed that was prescribed in the early 2000s and early 90s to pretty much anyone because it was marketed the wrong way. And um, so this painkiller was actually, it, it killed over 500,000 people from, from overdose, right? So people got hooked on it. Maybe it was, you know, you, you have a back injury or you, you, you broke your ankle. Mm-hmm. Your doctor prescribes you this. It helps, right, for a, for a moment. Mm-hmm. It helps the actual pain go away in the healing process of your injury. But then there's something called an opi- opioid in it mm-hmm. um, in, in regards to the opioid epidemic that's happening in America right now with mm-hmm. fentanyl, yeah. right? Um, one of the most toxic drugs and potent drugs there is in the world. Um, it has opioids in it, right? Oxy, Oxycontin has opioids in it, and it's a very addictive um, chemical mm-hmm. um, that causes people to become addicted to it over time um, and abuse the drug. And then, mm-hmm. unfortunately, some people, I mean, a lot of people, 500,000 people to be exact, overdose from, from yeah. um, Oxy, Oxycontin. It's crazy. And it kind of shed light into all that and just how something that was made to make money, right, from Purdue Pharmacies, mm-hmm. um, a company that's now bankrupt bankrupt because they finally got sued for all of the deaths um, that took place. They were, they were just trying to make money, right? And they made money. They made over $12 billion <sighs> off of this drug. Off of 500,000 deaths is what yeah, they yeah, made off of. Yeah, exactly. And it's just all the bad blood and stuff. And, and it got me thinking about my dad and, and what happened to him and stuff. And it's just it's crazy how, um, how that kind of affected America and how, mm-hmm. how drugs, drugs can affect and, in, 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 like, they can affect so many people. Um, and it's not just the person that, that dies from drugs, but the people around them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's horrible. I mean, and that, that's, and to me, that's the medical field in a, in a nutshell right now, man. I mean, it's so, take this drug, it'll fix you. And so they take it. And then it's like, okay, all right, so you had these side effects, no big deal. We'll give you some more prescriptions. You pay us some more money. It'll fix those side effects. And then you get two more from each of those. And it's like, it's, honestly, this is the greatest pyramid scheme of all time. You know? like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, the pharmaceutical industry makes makes buco bucks off mm-hmm. of us and our illnesses and our problems. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of these, I feel like, have a, a somewhat natural remedy where, and this is this is where, like, my background, I, I know a decent bit about, but it's like, okay, if you exercise and you eat healthier... And do you actually set yourself a schedule where you're getting, you know, seven, eight hours of sleep a night and it's good sleep and you're living a healthy lifestyle? Most of these problems that we see people just popping a pill for go away. And now yeah. it's to the point where people are popping pills for weight loss. And I'm like... Dieting. Yeah. It, um, it's, it's stewardship, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's these biblical biblical ideas that are, are not just ideas, but things that we should apply to our life, right? Mm-hmm. Biblical f- fundamentals um, that we, we should apply on the daily. And like you said, it'll, it'll prevent a lot of problems that'll, that'll arise in our life mm-hmm. um, and help us not, not, not have those problems. Yeah, well, it says, you know, I mean, the Bible says, you know, I take this verse, you know, it might be slightly out of context, but I still run with it, is, you know, our body's a temple. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I believe in the context the Bible was speaking about was actually talking about sexual immorality. But I think that we can also take in the sense of our body's a temple that we're supposed to take care of, period. You know? Yeah. And 
you know, you talk about like the sugar epidemic. This is something like um, I've talked about before, where you know, back in the late 1900s, at some point, there's a major study like, okay, what's going on with obesity right now? Like, why why is obesity rising? And it was sugar. That's what the scientists figured out. It was it was the, it was the excess sugar in things. Well, the sugar companies don't want them to release this information. They're like, hey, uh, we're gonna go broke. They're right? making money. Yeah, and so they're yeah. like, let's pay you off. Uh, just say it was. Let's say it was fat, fat in food. And so then you get all of these low fat, no fat foods that come out. And the only thing that that does to it, because fat is healthy, we're supposed to take in fat because fat gives you energy. That it, it, when it dissolves, it doesn't make you fat. That's the biggest misconception. It's like eating fat makes you fat. It's eating more calories makes you fat. Yeah. And sugar has so many calories. But whenever you take fat out of food, fat is where you get your flavor from. How do you replace flavor? You put more sugar in it. And so whenever you look at this study and you look at afterwards, people just got more and more and more and more obese. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the dietary things never changed. And that came purely from a, like, essentially a pharmaceutical, like, big pharma type standpoint where it's like, okay, what's going on? Well, that's not going to make us any money. Top deal. We put more sugar and stuff, we're going to sell yeah. it. And sugar, I mean, there's, there's studies saying that sugar is... It's just as addictive as most drugs right now. You know, it, it, oh, it yeah. releases the dopamine that, that a lot of drugs do and the, the serotonin and things like that, the way you're hooked on it. I'm a sugar addict, 100%. I got a sweet tooth, you know. I mean, the <coughs> your wife makes some cookies, my God, dude, I want to eat 15 Next of them right cooks. There. Let's go. But, I mean, that, yeah. that's such an epidemic. Oh, you do. I eat so much sugar. And, and yeah, to for me to eliminate sugar would... Would, I would probably have withdrawals because of oh, what yeah. you're saying. It, it, there's there's so much. I believe this that the things that we intake are ultimately going to create an outtake mm-hmm. in us, right? So if we're in, it, it can come. It can be take many forms, right? Food, um, content, um, media. Mm-hmm. The things that we take in are ultimately going to come out of us. Absolutely. Um, so it's like. With, with people that struggle with cussing, right? Mm-hmm. Christians that struggle with cr- cussing. How do I stop cussing, right? What music? The first thing, I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the first question that I ask is, what music are you listening to? If you're if you're if you're bumping Drake and you're bumping Juice World and you're mm-hmm. bumping all this this garbage, this secular garbage that's out there, the, what you're taking in is ultimately going to come out, mm-hmm. right? So and nine times out of ten, you got an AirPod in. 16 hours a day. You know? Exactly. Like, exactly. We it. take in so many things. Um, so it's important to, to manage and think about what we're taking in. Um, Cause ultimately it's going to come out of us um, oh, with our food, right? It's going to come out of us with illness, with, mm-hmm. with problems, with, mm-hmm. with um, health, health issues. Oh yeah. I mean, look at um, the carnivore diet right now, man. I mean that, you know, I did, I did that for a little bit and I, I loved it, but the studies are showing right now that purely intaking, Meat and animal byproducts. You're talking, you know, dairies, egg, things like that. If you, I mean, obviously, without other food allergies, you know, some people have, you know, like lactose intolerance, things like that. But carnivore diet being meat and, and animal byproducts and the occasional, like, simple sugar, like natural sugar, like some yeah, fruit, like fruit or some honey. Like strawberries or raspberries. Yeah, if you do this, this is how your body is supposed to operate. Your body actually makes the exact amount of glucose you need per day, which is what we turn carbohydrates into the the breads and the sugars and Mm -hmm. things like that we turn it into glucose which gets turned into glycogen which goes into your cells which gives you muscular output which gives your brain energy things like that your brain will switch over to ketosis and it becomes running on ketones which is actually how it's designed to run 
And our diet makes it so hard now because it's so good. We're so used to it. But if you can switch that over, there is a multitude of diseases that people are firsthand showing, hey, this stopped. One Jordan Peterson's daughter, not only did she have a, she had a rare condition. I can't remember what it was. It was something crazy. It stopped like within a few weeks. It just didn't happen anymore. And they, there was no medical answer to it before. And it stopped. And on top of that, uh, and you could probably argue that there was a correlation to it. At least she's not dealing with the disease. And so her depression stopped because of that. But her depression went away, she said. She said that she didn't remember a time she wasn't depressed. And all of a sudden she was so happy. Yeah. It was purely the only thing changing wasn't what medicine she was intaking. It was what food she was intaking. Yeah, I think food's huge. Um, how we feed our body. Um, and like I said, intake, outtake. But like, I feel like a lot of the food that we're eating is not even food. It's just, oh, man, it's no. just chemical, like composition of just garbage. Even your, your, your health. It's stuff giving us say. cancer. It's giving mm-hmm. us um, digestive issues that we've never seen before. I mean, the the the, the big question is, when did a gluten allergy ever exist? Absolutely. Right? When did um, lactose intolerance ever exist it's because of the chemicals that they're putting in our food um nothing's natural yeah yeah nothing is natural and and the way to get back to a healthy eating lifestyle is to go natural to go back Mm. to the 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 beginning right like why do you think people live why do you think people live so long in the bible right they weren't eating mcdonald's they weren't eating chick-fil-a they weren't eating chemical comp composed foods they were eating natural raw Mm. foods um you know, natural bread, um, natural lamb, natural natural meats. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't, you know, all this processed stuff that we're, we're consuming and eating today. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, 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 the average lifespan has, has gone down. It, correct me if I'm wrong. The average lifespan has gone down drastically. And I think mm-hmm. there's a direct correlation, a direct relation to the food that we're eating and the food that we're d- digesting. Yeah. I, I think you can take that argument back, like, you know, pre-flood, post-flood. Um, I've heard arguments from scholars saying that a lot of the the lifespan was uh, extra oxygen in the air, and that the flood actually reduced oxygen. But I, I definitely believe that food has something to do with it. I think that's part of the reason why, you know, God had instituted the the old the old Mosaic law was to keep people away from some of the foods that, if they weren't properly taken care of, could harm them. You know, like it's going to cause issues. You talk about. Like, um, you know, don't eat the, what was it, the hooked, the hooked creatures, right? You know, so even venison, venison, if, if you know much about it, is, is pretty hard to get the bad taste out of. It can carry a lot of disease yeah. within deer. And so you have to wash it carefully. You have to process it carefully to get the meat out of it. And But it's, it's one of the healthiest meats you can eat, they know now. It's very lean meat, and it's very good for you. I, I love venison, if you couldn't tell. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it... Things like that. I wonder if we could just get back to like, this is how God created food in the beginning, you know. And it's a hard diet to eat now. I mean, even even if you go to the grocery store right now, and you're like, man, I just want to get some some ground beef. I just want to get some potatoes. Yeah. I just want to get some milk. Okay, those are all pretty whole foods, and you're gonna be better off eating that than all like, yeah yeah all the other stuff. But it, there's still crap in it. Yeah. There's still mixing oh, yeah. stuff in it. It's still not all natural. Um, when you go grocery shopping, I mean, if you focus on how a grocery store is laid out, I mean, if you're if you're shopping on the middle of the grocery store, you're not eating real food. You gotta go to the outside. It's the outside. Yeah. Right? It's the meats, the veggies, the fruits, mm-hmm. um, the not the bakery, 
And not, you guys, you got to stop when you get to Walmart. And you not the two deli. thirds around. Yeah, 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 yeah. They get you. They get you. They know they're placing products in certain places that oh, you're yeah. buying. Um, it's just simple marketing. It, but it's all, it's all, but yeah. it's all marketing and corruption. Like the same with the pharmaceutical. How can we make the most money off the most bull crap? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, we're being marketed to every day. Um, I think it, I heard a statistic that said like the average human sees almost 5,000 advertisements a day that goes into their subconscious that makes them think about buying and uh buying different products yeah i mean people have amazon issues uh but yeah well now and now and now ads are like they're listening to you i mean it's a it's a fact they're listening oh 100 i mean your phone our phones are just like Honestly, my phone's probably giving me some ads for like some podcast equipment, probably some venison now, you know, like it's going to pull that up because that, that's what it is and yeah. you can't get away from it. it it's, a, it's a trap. It's a marketing machine. Unless you can separate yourself. That's what I want. I just want a homestead. I just want to be away. Like I want to, I want to have my Grow cows your own out there, my be crazy. farm, you know, that, that is my goal is I don't ever want to go to the supermarket. I just want to do it. That'd be well, crazy. Except like maybe salt. I don't, I don't think I can get no, no sea salt here. Yeah, but I mean, you know, everything else though. If I can just grow your own sea salt, that'd be wild, wouldn't it? Be crazy, man. Hey, I tell you what, hydro. I think it's called hydrophonics, something like that. Collecting rainwater. Have you seen that stuff, mm-hmm. dude? Me and my father in law talk about this a lot. They're they're collecting rainwater now, and some states are making it illegal to do this because then you have to drink their water. But if you collect rainwater into like these big old uh, like plastic, uh, I think what they bring oil in is what it is. I forget what they're called. You can, you can basically set up your drain system to just all your gutters will flow into it. Mm-hmm. And you can set them up and stack them and run filters through them like, for really cheap. Like, it don't cost that much. Like, maybe a few hundred dollars to get into. And by the end of it, literally your rainwater just becomes a, a source of water that's clean, fresh water yeah. through a few filter systems. And it's completely free. And people are freaking out. Like, governments are like, uh, we don't we don't want you to do that. Have you ever <laughs> heard of uh, Dizani Water? Oh God! Did so I you know a company owns Dizani, yeah, right? Coca Cola, right? Yeah. Um, the, I've heard, uh, and I might be wrong about this, but I heard from one of my professors in college that so Dizani water is sourced from Lake Alatuna in Georgia. Mm-hmm. So they take the water, the runoff water, the rainwater. Essentially, mm-hmm. it's rain, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's not snow in Georgia, so it's not yeah. really runoff. Um, so it's essentially rain that goes into there. Um, and they purify that, and then that's how they, they're they selling us rain, essentially. Yeah, I mean, the they, the water can... industry is crazy, and like we have uh, water at Big Spring. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's natural spring water with higher alkaline pH levels. Yeah. Um, the Dizani water is garbage. It's oh, straight okay. up rain, and it's like the pH level is trash on oh, it. It's, it's like 3.5 versus oh. like a, a spring water that you would drink, like essential water or Big Spring. It's at like 7.5 to 8, which yeah, is the higher P- pH levels, um, which actually hydrates you better. Well, I've also, I mean, this is this is a belief of mine, and it's something I personally try getting away from is I try to get away from bottled waters. Bottled drinks, period. You know, you talk about the microplastics and things like that that are, oh, you yeah. know, whenever you're shipping these these bottles of water, like this, this bottle of water you're drinking, it, it didn't get bottled yesterday. Yeah, it's it not a bottle two months ago, shipped on a thing, like on a big truck, yeah. in the heat, like... And that plastic, it shows. It is just melting into it. And they're saying, like, the correlation, they can't necessarily prove causation yet, mm-hmm. but the correlation with testosterone levels in men, it's right there. I mean, it is, it, 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 it's, it's definitely my personal belief that that's causing a rapid drop in testosterone in men 
to where like what my current testosterone, or at least my age group, our age group on average, is what like 40 year olds were hmm. at like 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. Whatever the big water bottle surge really starts to happen. And that's where I think you see a lot of uh, a lot of your societal issues coming from. You talk about men thinking they're women and wanting to do hormone transplants. I mean, you talk yeah. about low testosterone. I mean, you're talking about you, you take the drive out of a man. I mean, and even even look at freaking facial hair, dude. You just look at every single yeah. beach in the seventies. All those dudes had those massive stashes. It's crazy how things have changed over time. Yeah. And here we Changing are. Changing so dr- dramatically, too, in our culture. Yeah, we can barely grow beards now. I mean, <laughs> we've been working on our facial hair for like years, you know? Yeah. So, well, that's awesome. And the stash going. So, well, I reckon that's fixing to, fixing to wrap it up, man. I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, man. dude, I appreciate it. I'm excited to see uh, where this podcast heads. Hey, I'm excited to see what's going to take you, man. I, I appreciate you, and uh, I appreciate all y'all for, uh, for listening to it. So, y'all have a good one.